This is for Report 74 on Print On Demand. Let's start by talking about why this topic matters. In previous reports, we've talked a lot about building trust and how building trust is hard to do, but it's easy to monetize. The problem that on-demand manufacturing solves is that storing unsold products leads to inventory risk where you're then forced to uh, discount these items if there isn't enough demand or get rid of these items somehow if there isn't enough demand. In both cases, you're creating capital inefficiency. And the solution is to pre-sale items. That's at the root of a lot of on-demand manufacturing where it follows this pull model where the market is pulling these things that it wants from you rather than you trying to push pre-manufactured items onto the market. In the report, you can find examples of marketplaces to discover manufacturers to work with, as well as brands that leverage on-demand manufacturing. The first prediction is that we'll see more local manufacturing and a common argument that's used to outsource manufacturing to other countries, perhaps less expensive countries, comes back to the cost of labor and the cost of energy. But when we look at on-demand manufacturing, it's often paired with advances in automation technology. So the labor cost becomes less of a concern. We could also look to long-tail items that we may not be able to justify creating a mass production run of these items because there's not enough demand for it. We can't justify standing up a company to build this item or these sets of items. But when the barrier to entry only calls for a CAD file, so instead of a group of people needing to organize to produce this item, you only need one person out of 8 billion people to be able to justify creating this 3D design, which can then be shipped to one of millions of 3D printers. That's a much different proposition. So we get more of that behavior because the friction is much lower. We'll also see tailored items become more accessible where this has always been accessible to the wealthy, but on-demand manufacturing being paired with advances in automation means that it becomes cheaper and more accessible for the masses to get tailored clothing, tailored shoes, and other items. We'll also see NFTs, which are digitally scarce, paired with physically scarce items that can only be manufactured if you have access to this token, or at least the authentic ones. And we can look to companies like Metafactory, which are already playing in this space. We'll also see operations as a service, join manufacturing as a service. And we can look to creators like Mr. Beast with Ghost Kitchens or Kylie Jenner with Kylie Cosmetics or Oprah with her food line, where operations can be objectively good or objectively bad. But what's hard is the trust part, building that trust. And that's what these creators have done. And we can layer on the operations as a service later on to find out ways to monetize that trust that's been built. We can also look to the fact that more companies will pre-sale to get these interest-free loans. And perhaps Tesla is the biggest example of this, where they lowered their market risk by selling cars years in advance of them actually being built. And they also raised non-dilutive capital at the same time at 0%. So they didn't give up equity, yet they raised this capital, which had an opportunity cost to the customers. They could have invested that capital instead, but they didn't. They gave it to Tesla. And unlike traditional debt, Tesla isn't paying interest on these loans. And an example of a platform that operates on these same principles is Kickstarter. Another prediction is that it will become hard for governments to control the manufacturing of quote unquote illicit goods. And we talk about decentralized currencies, decentralized organizations, DAOs, and now we're talking about decentralized manufacturing. 
specifically around ghost guns or 3D printed guns. And if a country tries to ban them, you lose the potential downsides as well as the potential upsides that these things could produce. And my mind goes back to this quote from Neer Eyal, where he talks about the superpower test. Any great technology is like a superpower that can be used for good or evil. And 3D printing is an example of that. And one last point on this, just like digital currencies and decentralized organizations, the bigger question is, can they be banned at this point? Can you put the genie back in the bottle? And I'm not sure that you can. On to opportunities where the first opportunity is to focus on building trust. And once this trust is built, it can be monetized in any number of ways, including using print-on-demand services such as Printful and Printify. And Jack Butcher is an example of this, where if we try the same strategy that he employs to sell merch via Twitter, we may not have or we won't have uh, the same levels of success that he has because he's leaning on the trust that he's built with his audience. You could also look to embedding yourself in a marketplace that already has traffic, i.e. Etsy or Amazon. And we can talk about platform risk here, which may be a concern, but the bigger question is what are you optimizing for at that point? And what should you be optimizing for at that point? Are you trying to validate that form factor, uh, figure out if this brand resonates with people or are you trying to mitigate market risk? And either one is fine, but what may not be a good idea is to try to solve all problems at once. You could also look at offering swag for your company to capture mindshare with your target audience. Microacquire is a great example of this where they offered hats and sponsored Founder Summit, which I recently left. Of course, they kicked out some capital to sponsor the conference to produce the hats. But it's also a question of what was the net result for them? Was it a net positive, a net loss? It's a strategy where they're capturing Mindshare by turning these Founder Summit guests into effectively walking billboards. And it's highly likely that founders hang out with other founders, so they're getting extra mileage for this marketing. You could also look at pre-selling to reduce market risk. And sure, we're talking about physical products here with on-demand manufacturing, but it also applies to SaaS as well as conferences. And you're trying to reduce market risk and you're building a faster feedback loop by figuring out whether something is wanted before you actually produce it. And there's an entire report on this. You could also look at leveraging drop culture to create artificial scarcity and create demand. And the great thing about this is that it scales with however much demand you do have. If you have an audience of 100,000 people, perhaps you only produce 1,000 items. If you have an audience of 1,000 people, perhaps you only produce 10 or three. This is artificial because when we look at someone like Jack Butcher, where he says, okay, I'll only produce 69 hats or 69 hoodies. He's working with a partner like Printify or Printful. In theory, he can produce as many as he wants to, but he's creating that urgency, which again, ratchets up that demand to make this whole thing work. And there's also a report on drop culture. You could also look to graduating to doing your own manufacturing. And the great thing here is that you have yet another vector that you can play with instead of just changing the color or changing the logo on a hoodie or a hat. Now you can play with the material and the style of these items instead of working with a commoditized a fulfillment partner like Printify or Printful. And this gives you yet another moat and more of a competitive advantage where it becomes harder to copy you or your brand. You could also look at leveraging paid ads for a similar reason that you may think about using Etsy or Amazon in terms of speeding up that feedback loop in the validation process. And of course, the downside here is that you're giving up some control of your unit economics, but it goes back to the question of 
what are you optimizing for at this point and what should you be optimizing for? So later on, you may want to layer on or solely rely on organic reach. But if you're trying to get a faster feedback loop and learn a lot quicker, perhaps paid ads via Instagram or Facebook may be a good idea at this point. You could also look at getting your audience involved via crowdsourcing designs or voting on the final designs that get produced. And you can look to Threadlist to see how they work with artists uh, to make some of the t-shirt designs that they eventually produce. There's also a report on crowdsourcing. And lastly, you can look at building an agency to work with companies and fulfillment partners. MailChimp is an example of this. Their core business is that of being an email service provider, but they wanted merch. Instead of designing the merch and figuring out best practices for distributing the merch, they work with an agency to design and then help them distribute that merch within and beyond MailChimp, the company. So if you want to be that go-between for fulfillment partners and agencies, and of course, there's a report on agencies as well. Moving on to risk, where the first risk is the type that we talk about a lot when it comes to Etsy and Amazon with platform risk, where you're giving up control of your top of funnel to these platforms. But another example of platform risk comes in the form of fulfillment partners that you may work with like Printful and Printify. If there are delivery concerns or inconsistent manufacturing when it comes to quality, these are components of your business that you've given up control over with the upside, of course, being that you're able to focus on brand building, but you want to make sure that you have reliable partners. If you're going to throw these components of your business over the wall, Another risk comes in the form of brand dilution, where you may be incentivized or tempted to offer hats, buttons, pins, stickers, mugs, all of these things. But you have to also ask yourself, what's authentic to my brand and the story that I'm telling? Because you may make more in the short term by exploring all of these form factors, but your audience will be able to sense a cash grab if you're only doing these to make more money and you may end up losing more in the long term while you're chasing these short-term gains. On to key lessons where the first key lesson is that value accrues to the best storytellers. Trust is hard to build and easy to monetize. And that's why we're seeing these brand builders that are able to enrich these commodities with emotion, raise their perceived value and sell them for uh, multiples of what they originally cost. Another key lesson is that competing on scale effects is a race to the bottom where stories and emotion, these are non-fungible things. And I could give you a billion dollars to go compete with Coke, but if you try to compete with Coke, you may capture a subset of the market, but it wouldn't be feature parity in the sense that you can get feature parity with SaaS. There's no feature parity when it comes to emotion or stories or feelings that this brand Coke has built. So it's much harder to compete on brand than it is scale. You can have objectively good operations or objectively equivalent manufacturing practices, but it's hard to elicit equivalent emotions via storytelling. We can also look at the way that manufacturing as a service transfers some attributes from digital products to physical products, specifically around uh, margins and inventory risk, where if you're selling a digital product, once it's built, everything else um, is upside for you and there's no inventory risk. And this applies to the creator side. If they're working with a fulfillment partner, oftentimes the partner will eat uh, the cost of returns. This is just worked into their revenue model where they've priced things in such a way that they can deal with some level of returns without bothering uh, the creator. So from the creator standpoint, whatever they make from this hoodie or this mug, even though it's a physical item, it's all upside to them. 
and they're not faced with inventory risk where they have to think about where do I store this item or even needing to be concerned with how it's shipped or where it's shipped. All of that is outsourced, which leads to our next point, which is around composability of businesses where businesses are becoming more composable, meaning that you're able to throw these components of your business over the wall reliably and focus on what you do best. In the past, we've talked about this when it comes to APIs such as Twilio, which meant that platforms such as Lyft and Uber did not have to build SMS functionality from scratch. They could simply leverage the API of Twilio. It also comes in terms of productized services. If you have things such as accounting or a discrete legal task or things like this that need to be done, you could lean on productized services instead of building this functionality and this capability in-house, which allows you to focus more uh, on what you're uniquely suited to do as a business. And on-demand manufacturing fits uh, in that same meta trend, if you will, because you don't have to be a logistics expert or a supply chain expert. You can simply be a creator that's great at brand building and building trust and then leverage these partners that are specialized when it comes to manufacturing and fulfilling these items to do that while allowing you to focus on what you're great at. On to haters, where the first hater says that mass production is more efficient than on-demand manufacturing. And there's a lot of nuance here where you can be more efficient at doing something, but perhaps you're marching towards the wrong goal. If you can produce something cheaper, but there's no market demand for it, then what have you done? And I would say that on-demand manufacturing, especially early on, it's much more sensitive to lowering market risk because, again, it follows that pull model where the market is pulling this from you before it's actually made versus you have this thing that you've made that you're trying to push onto the market. So perhaps it's not efficiency that you're concerned about at first, but it's validation that you're concerned about. On-demand manufacturing also excels when it comes to long tail items where maybe we can't justify mass producing something that's super esoteric or long tail, but this can be produced on demand. So you have a subset of the market that's now satisfied by something that they needed, but that didn't exist before when we were primarily relying on mass production. Another hater says that on-demand manufacturing isn't new. And again, Trends VC isn't necessarily about what's new, but it's about what matters. And the reason why we're talking about on-demand manufacturing right now is because in previous reports, we come back to this bigger idea of trust being hard to build and easy to monetize. And it will be great going forward to have this stem or this anchor of being able to point to on-demand manufacturing as yet another example of this meta trend, but it also applies to SaaS or conferences or courses or anything else that once you've built this trust in this relationship with your audience, these other parts are relatively easy to figure out, especially in the case of on-demand manufacturing. And another hater says that anyone can copy my brand or my design. And we can look to the fact that the best brands often face counterfeiting and perhaps that's inevitable, but they still succeed. And like NFTs, perhaps the more that something is copied, the more value accrues to the original. And you can craft a wider moat if you decide, hey, I want to take some manufacturing in-house. So instead of relying on the available colors or styles or designs that a Printful or a Printify has, this is yet another vector that you can add where it becomes harder to compete or copy you. I'd like to thank everyone who helped out with this report, including Stuart from Podcast Hawk, Prachi from Tiro, David from Calm Capital, Mikhail from the Creative Summer Company, Naraj, Logan, Yardi from A4E, Natwar from Engineering Brew, Mahek from React Lab, Nandrew from Sponsor Fund, 
This wraps it up for Report 74. Thanks for listening, and I'm looking forward to your thoughts.